Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and for a special mini reaction pod, I'm joined, as always, as I was yesterday, by co-host Joe Wolfong. It's good to be back, man. I missed you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't know how good it is to be back, because this is quite an inconsequential blockbuster trade. This is as inconsequential as a blockbuster trade gets couple guys with 135 plus million dollars left on their deals getting traded for each other is usually like a seismic event in the NBA. And uh, in the case of John Wall and Russell Westbrook, it is most certainly not a seismic event. So uh, in case anyone who's listening to an NBA podcast isn't aware, John Wall was traded to Houston along with a future protected first round pick and Russell Westbrook was sent to Washington. We were just talking off air about how you saw a uh, Woj, an Adrian Wojnarowski TV hit or something where he was saying this is actually what James Harden wanted, which I mean, we can get into that as well. The fact that you know the, the Rockets just keep cycling through star teammates for James Harden who doesn't seem to get along with any of them. And, and Russ was supposed to be the end of the line there because Harden wanted Chris Paul gone because they didn't get along. And uh, Russ is like his childhood friend. They played together when they were kids. They played together on the Thunder and from the same area. And that lasted a year before Harden wanted John Wall instead. So, um, I mean, I've got my thoughts on the deal. I wrote about it last night. I'm sure um, strip clubs in Houston have their uh, (laughs) thoughts on the deal, given that James Harden and John Wall are now united. Do you have any thoughts on the deal outside of exotic dancing? (laughs) I mean, I, uh, I I liked how you put it in the piece that you wrote, which was that it's a little like rearranging some extremely expensive deck chairs on a sinking ship. I think that in a weird way, it does kind of make sense for both teams. The Rockets, if they are ultimately going to tear this thing down, which is fully what I expect to happen. I don't expect... John Wall to come over and James Harden to be like, oh, thank you so much. You got me the point guard that I wanted. Everything is hunky-dory now. Let's go. Uh, I expect that for a second time, he is going to realize in relatively short order that he's made a huge mistake. <laughs> and that in a, in a matter of two years, the team has gone from Chris Paul to Russell Westbrook to John Wall. A, a series of diminishing returns on the point guard front and ultimately will double down on his trade request and leave the Rockets back where we ultimately thought they would be, which is just trying to sell off parts and kickstart a rebuild. And if they are doing that, then look, they got a first round pick in this deal. I I think if we were to say, okay, what's it going to take to get off of Westbrook's contract? If someone had said like, they're going to get off the contract and they're going to get a first round pick in the deal, we would have said that's pretty good. Now, they're saddled with John Wall's even worse contract. But if they're entering a rebuild phase, then, I mean, ultimately they were going to have to eat some really bad money at some point uh, if they wanted to get off of the Westbrook deal. And so that's what they've done. And they get a first round pick. It makes, I guess, a certain measure of sense. And look, there is that small chance that John Wall comes back and is John Wall again. And if that is the case, I still think Westbrook's the better player, but maybe there's an argument to be made that Wall fits better alongside Harden than Westbrook does. He's a little bit better as a shooter. He's not as ball dominant. He's a slightly better off-ball player. Still not a great off-ball player, but 
I think obviously the Harden and Russ thing had run its course for one reason or another. So it's not totally indefensible from Houston's position. And for the Wizards, they're sort of go, you know going in the opposite direction, it seems. Or, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe the Rockets aren't tearing it down. But the Wizards seem set on being as good as they can possibly be in order to try and keep Bradley Beal around, I think. And this trade makes them better. In my mind, there's no doubt that they are a better team now than they were yesterday. For one thing, like Westbrook is just way more of a sure thing. He's actually played basketball quite a lot of it over the last two years. And like I said, I think, you know, when, when both of them are healthy, I still think Westbrook is better. And I honestly think that the fit between him and Beal in the backcourt is pretty solid. Like Beal can be a really effective off ball player. I still think that Westbrook needs to learn how to play without the ball in his hands. I've kind of given up hope on that happening at this stage of his career, but I think that team could actually be really, really good offensively. You have, you know, essentially Westbrook operating, maybe not the same kind of space that he had in Houston, but like he's surrounded by Beal, Davis Bertans, and Thomas Bryant, who like started to show that he has some stretch to his game last season and can be a really effective offensive player in the pick and roll, which, you know, we've seen Russ be effective as a pick and roll point guard before, right? Like, it's not like before last season, he proved incapable of playing with rim running centers before. And like that was a really potent offensive team last year. You throw Russell Westbrook into the mix and ideally get him back healthy and playing something close to the level that he was playing at for those three electric months last year. And I think this is a team that could be good enough offensively to overcome its defensive deficiencies, you know, to the point that it is going to be a playoff team. Yeah, you mentioned those three electric months from Westbrook. From the Rockets' perspective, and I said this in the piece, like if they, if this is a precursor to an inevitable James Harden trade, and they do have their sights set on pivoting to a full-blown rebuild very soon, then I understand the deal because you're swapping a couple bad contracts. It's not concerning that wall helps you less in the short term because, you know, if, if you're thinking rebuild anyway and you recoup a future first rounder, you know, we talked about that even in um, some of the deals they've made earlier this offseason that if they do end up pivoting to a rebuild or even if they don't, the fact that they started to recoup some draft capital after giving so much of it away, you know, over recent years is a positive. But if they are to be taken seriously and at face value when they, you know, say that they have no intention of trading James Harden and want to see if they can remain competitive with him in the short term, then this deal makes a whole lot less sense. Because, yeah, look, you mentioned uh, Wall being... So he, he is a little bit of a better shooter, but he's still not a good shooter. Like, I, I don't know if you saw the stat I put in that post, but it's like, I think it was like 263 players in NBA history have taken as many three-pointers as John Wall. And of the 263, like Westbrook ranks 257 in three-point percentage and Wall ranks like 247 or something. Like he is a slightly better shooter than Russ, but he's not a good shooter. He is a slightly better, he's a better off-ball player than Russ. He's not a great off-ball player. At his best, he was a better and more focused defensive player than Westbrook ever was. I don't know how much faith I have in that bearing fruit two two years after his last game. And we're talking about, uh, uh, I know he's two years younger than Westbrook, but we're still talking about a 30-year-old 
point guard whose greatest attribute and what he relied on was his speed, who hasn't played in two years, who is coming off an Achilles injury, who's had multiple knee surgeries. Like I put in the post, people forget the year before the heel and Achilles injuries that have kept him out two years, he missed half the season because of knee injuries. Like he hasn't really been like his healthy explosive self in what, three, four years. And so even if he does shoot a little better than Russ, moves a little better off the ball than Russ, defends a little better than Russ. He doesn't do those things well enough to make up for the overall gap in talent and ability between him and Westbrook. And yes, it was only three months out of the season, but what Russ did in those three months was pretty special. Like he was back to being a very special player. His shot selection got better. We talked about it. He was rampaging the rim again, which is what he did at his best. I just, there's almost zero reason to believe that John Wall can do what Russ was able to do for three months last year for even like one month. And so I just, yeah, again, if the Rockets are to be taken at face value that they want to continue competing with Harden right now, then this deal doesn't make sense because you got worse. Like, what was it worth it to turn a bad contract into a terrible contract and get worse just to get a future first rounder. If you claim to be trying to compete, I don't think so. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, you know, I know it doesn't really matter now, but the fact of the matter is they turned Chris Paul, two first rounders and two pick swaps within a year and a little bit, they turned that into John Wall and a future first rounder. Like it's just astonishingly bad asset management. And, and then, yeah, from the Wizards perspective, they definitely got better. I agree with you. The fit between Westbrook and Beal is better than the fit with Westbrook and Harden is better than the, the fit between uh, Harden and Wall. Like Beal can play off the ball. You know, we'll see Scott Brooks, who has never been able to stagger, uh, has never proven capable of understanding the value of staggering stars, uh, just doesn't seem to believe in it. it. Seems to subscribe more to the theory that you should maximize the amount of minutes your best players play together. Uh, and 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 not worry about the other minutes but anyway he you know he gets to reunite with Westbrook and it'll be interesting to see if he does stagger uh Westbrook and Beal's minutes at all because look if you can if you can play the majority of the game if not the whole game with one of Bradley Beal or Russell Westbrook on the court with the shooting that the Wizards have and with some of the like underrated young talent that the Wizards have in the Eastern Conference you should undoubtedly at the very least be in that 7 to 10 play it the defense will remain a disaster. The offense could be really fun. I mean, they were a top five pace team last season that was surprisingly potent, you know, efficiency uh, wise until injuries besieged them. So I think, I think the Wizards got better. I think all they did was graduate from futility to mediocrity. And, you know, we can argue about whether swapping a bad contract for another contract and giving up a future first is worth doing that. But they're hell-bent on trying to keep Bradley Beal happy. And if they're more competitive, which they should be, and that does lead to Bradley Beal being happier, more engaged, keeps him in Washington a little longer, then I don't think it's a bad deal to give up a future first that's pretty protected as well to, to graduate, like I said, from futility to mediocrity. It might be one of the rare cases where that's okay. The only other thing I did want to mention when we were talking about how Wall is you know, a little more capable off-ball than Westbrook, it is interesting though, to consider that the last time we saw him in the NBA for the first third of the 2018-2019 season, even though he was playing with Bradley Beal, John Wall was second in the NBA in minutes of possession per game behind only James Harden. 
<laughs> so it should be fun. Yeah. As far as the defense, like the Wizards were going to be terrible defensively anyway. And I actually fully expect Westbrook to be a better defensive player than Harden, uh, than Wall this coming season. I just think Wall's defense had already slipped pretty significantly. And then to be coming off of the Achilles, I, I just, I actually think that Westbrook is going to be a higher level defender. I think the difference will probably be negligible, especially when you consider the rest of the defensive personnel on the Wizards. I don't think it'll move the needle all that much, but I don't think the Wizards defense profiles could be any worse now than it did before this trade happened. And look, I think if Scott Brooks doesn't want to stagger those guys minutes, it's not the approach that I would go with, but in a weird way, I would almost like to see it because to me, like the biggest losers in this deal are the players on the Wizards, the young players on the Wizards who I was looking forward to seeing kind of start to develop their on-ball abilities. One of those guys is Troy Brown, who I thought in the bubble demonstrated a lot more off-the-dribble juice than I anticipated. He was running pick and roll. He was showing some pretty slick passing chops, making like some pretty advanced reads and one-handed skip passes. And that was really exciting to me because I I had already liked Troy Brown's game. He can play effectively off the ball. He's a really smart cutter. He's probably the best defensive player on the team. Certainly as a perimeter defender, he's the best on the team. So it's a low bar to clear, but like, I think there's actually the outline of a really effective player there and seeing him do some advanced stuff with the ball in his hands, I thought was pretty exciting. And then you bring in a player as ball dominant as Westbrook and suddenly you know, his opportunities to do those kind of things uh, start to diminish. But if he's the guy who you ask to sort of captain your second unit and you're keeping Westbrook and Beal more tethered together, then from a developmental perspective, I don't hate it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's also obviously Denny Avdia, who's he's also a great cutter. Uh, at least from like the film on him that I've watched. But, you know, the reason that he had all this helium and the, like the upside there is that he's this dude who's six foot nine, who can also be a playmaker. And so where is he going to find his opportunities to be a playmaker in this system? Uh, Rui Hachimura. I mean, like, where does he fit into all this? I think it's going to be, there's going to be a bit of a challenge there, I think, to distribute touches and to try and keep an eye on the developmental process for those young guys while also trying to appease Beal and Westbrook. And, you know, it's something, it's sort of similar to what we've talked about with these other East teams who are going to be in that play-in mix at the bottom of the East playoff bracket. It's like all of these teams are simultaneously trying to build toward the future, but are also seemingly trying to win now. And I think that can be a difficult balancing act you know, the Wizards can be as good next season or better than any of those teams. Like, I don't see, like, do you see them as being that far behind Atlanta? In no, no. Right I mean, I, I wrote this as well, that I think they now join Atlanta in kind of like a two-team tier behind the top seven, but very separate from the bottom six. And I think they're probably, them and Atlanta are probably closer to Indiana, in my mind, than they are to Charlotte and Orlando, maybe. Yeah. 
I I think I might agree with that. Although I think that says more about the gulf between them and the rest of the East right. than it does. But I, I think that they can navigate that situation. I'm curious to see how they're going to do it and whether that's going to lead to some tension and unhappiness on that roster. But I do think their offense is going to be really good. There aren't many bigs that I would rather have playing alongside somebody like Westbrook than Bertans. Uh, And then there's also Mo Wagner who shot the absolute lights out last season. And I think if, you know, assuming reasonable health, I think this is a top 10 offensive team. And almost certainly a bottom five defensive team. So where does that leave them? (laughs) You know, somewhere around 500, maybe slightly above. And if everything clicks, then, you know, maybe they can creep towards being something like a 40 win team. You know, if everything goes right. You know, is it worth giving up a future first for that? I don't know. I mean, like you said, it is. It's lottery protected in 2023. Then it's top 12 protected in 2024, then top 10 protected, then top eight. Uh, and then it becomes two second rounders. So, so at the very worst, you're giving up the number nine pick like years from now. Exactly. Like if they're not going to be giving up a premium pick, I think the opportunity cost is more about what they could have gotten this season if they decided to trade Beal and go into the tank, mm-hmm. you know, ahead of a Ballyhooed draft class. But if they weren't going to do that, if they were intent on riding it with Beal anyway, like they might as well be as good as they can possibly be. And giving up a pretty heavily protected pick in order to do that, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Like if I was picking a winner of this trade, then I'd probably pick Washington. Yeah, I do think Westbrook and Wall, you can make the argument they both lost because... Well, they both wanted to get traded and they did, so... Yeah, but I think, look, I Westbrook... I think wanted to, well, not I think, I can be sure, wanted to go to a contender. You know, he, despite the fact he hasn't had the most postseason success, especially in the post-Durant era uh, of his career, he's always been on teams in the West that at least, for the most part, go into the season with pretty ambitious postseason goals, right? And usually are title contenders. And now he's going to the Wizards, who we're talking about as like, well... Yeah, they should be the best. They might be able to be the best of the play-in teams if everything breaks right. And uh, and and I think the reason I think him and Wall are losers is because I think they will both eventually be remnants on rebuilding teams going nowhere in Washington and Houston. And Wall more so. Like I think the Harden trade will come before the Beal trade. And then Wall will be stuck being like this just overpaid, aging, kind of decrepit falling apart guard wow throw some more adjectives out there cash i don't Um, think you quite hammered the point home yet you know what i mean and he's just gonna be like wasting away in houston like post harden with this team's gonna be terrible and like going nowhere no one's gonna want his contract and then russ i don't know i guess russ maybe has a little more of a chance to end up somewhere else if the wizards kick it into rebuild but it's still not going to be the most movable contract and it's so i don't know I, i feel like even for both those guys I'm not even like, I don't think they deserve better by their play or anything. Like, I'm not saying they got shafted. Um, I just think, yeah, career wise, this is a lose for both of them, too. Wasn't it you who was just saying a couple episodes ago that Westbrook putting up 40 plus percent usage seasons on like 37 win teams was exactly how you saw his career yeah. ending? Yeah, I'm not saying it's surprising. Well, so I, I mean, 
you can said, still be a loser even if it's not surprising. I know, but you were you were saying that you think he's a loser because he wanted to go to a contender, but I actually think, you know, based on all that reporting in the Athletic a few weeks back, it seems like what he really wanted was just to get back to the role he was playing in OKC, where he had the ball in his hands all the time. Which, well, he still essentially not took him out. Role. Well, I think he'll he'll have that role more so than he did in Houston. But 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 the point is, like him wanting to have that role, took him out of the running for any contending team. Like that was never going to happen for him on a contender. So it's hard to say that that's actually what he wanted. It seems like what he wanted was just a little bit more freedom which I think he will definitely have in Washington. So I don't know. I, I don't know if that makes him a winner necessarily. I mentioned, there, you know, when all that reporting came out, how disappointed I was. This is what Westbrook <laughs> seemed to want, you know, for the last act of his career. But if that is what he wanted, then yeah, I think that that's what he'll get. There are no winners here. Uh, well, if there are no winners, then there are no losers either. No, I think they can. I think everyone can be a loser in this situation i think the wizards are the lesser of the losers yeah i guess no i i i definitely agree actually but i i don't i don't think there are any losers either i think you can say there are no winners but i also think that there are no losers because what were these teams going to do anyway like westbrook was pouting and demanding a trade and wall was pouting and demanding a trade literally the only guys that it made sense to trade them for were each other so this is kind of the only way that those scenarios could have ended. And yes, Washington gives up the pick in the deal, but they also get the better player. And Houston gets a pick, gets to appease James Harden one last time, probably. For a couple months. And then is going to be on its way to a rebuild, presumably. So, Or hell, maybe not, man. Maybe against all odds, this actually works out. And... James Harden is thrilled, loves going to the strip club with John Wall. And uh, and this is how the Rockets save themselves. I'll tell you, man, that is going to be one hell of an off-court, backcourt duo. Uh, yeah, and don't forget that Tillman Fertitta also saves $200,000. So here's the thing. For this year, for this year alone. Exactly. He saves $200,000 in the short term, but the money owed on the actual life of the contract is basically the exact same for both. So the only way you actually save 200 grand is if you flip wall before the player option in a couple of years. And like, are we sure the Rockets are going to be able to do that? So, I mean, I'm not surprised that Tillman Fertitta is chasing this short sighted short term savings of 200 grand. But yeah, Tillman uh, Fertitta is always taking that one marshmallow now rather yeah, than the two marshmallows yeah. later. Also, I'm disappointed in myself for calling him Tillman Fertitta instead of Tillman Fertito. Yes. I did say I was only going to refer to him as Fertito from now on. Shout out Kendrick Perkins. Um, all right. You, what else do you want to touch on before we get out of here? We call this a mini pod. We're at 25 minutes. Let's go for five more minutes. Well, we had some Lakers news. Yeah. A couple of good players resigned. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I didn't mean, do you have any reaction to that? I think it was... On the one hand, I guess expected, but on the other hand, there was definitely always a chance that AD was going to play the one plus one game, maybe try to get back into free agency at 10 years to secure, you know, the max of maxes, like the 35% of the cat max, but he's not going to do that. Uh, He just wanted to lock in for the full five and LeBron inking that two year extension 
essentially locks them both in through what I would expect to be the remainder of LeBron's. I, I have to still call it as prime. I mean, the guy remains the best player in the league and just won finals MVP. So the remainder of LeBron's prime. But again, with LeBron, you never really know. But yeah, I, I think, you know, even if the expectation is that AD is just going to resign after doing the one plus one thing a couple of times, you never really know. And obviously we saw in Golden State how the constant uncertainty about that can lead to some fractures with the team and having to sweat it out for that one year. So I think Lakers fans and that organization is probably super happy right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that LeBron and AD remain committed to the Lakers. I'm surprised that they've officially committed for as long. Like uh, the AD deal, you know, I was expecting him to to sign any day now, but I didn't think he was going for the full five years. Yeah, I thought whether well, it was going to be a one plus one or a two plus one, um, get himself back in free agency when he can get the 10 year plus max. I, I just didn't think he was going to commit for the maximum term right now. So that was a bit of a surprise. And then, yeah, the LeBron extension kind of came out of nowhere. And um, it's interesting to think about how, like, if, if LeBron plays out the life of that deal in LA, which we expect he will, he'll actually end up having been a Laker longer than a Heat, which is just kind of like weird to think about. I mean, it's obviously only been two years right now, but uh, yeah, I think the Lakers, uh, that, that decade of futility that was so foreign to that franchise is already a distant memory after winning a championship with LeBron AD, but will be a very, very, very distant memory by the time this run of LeBron and AD in LA is over because they're just locked into being a contender for the foreseeable future again. Has there ever been a player, obviously like not on LeBron's level, but has there ever been a player who has carved out like a legitimate legacy on three different teams? I don't think so. Like, I guess, like, maybe Ray Allen. Can you say that? Yeah, I guess. But did he really have a legacy in... Yeah, no, I guess. I mean, that shot that shot yeah. in Miami is his legacy in Miami. Like, yeah, I, I, like, he had a legacy moment in Miami. Yeah. But I still, I don't know if I call... <sighs> yeah. Well, you could say Milwaukee, Seattle, and Boston. Ah, would you say Seattle? Like... I'd yeah, say his legacies are Milwaukee and Boston. Yeah. Anyway, well, well, we can delve into that another time. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But I do think before we sign off, we should just give a shout out to GM LeBron. Because what a masterful job he has done. Is, is that our fan shout out this week? LeBron, <laughs> LeBron James. We know he's a loyal listener. And we just thought it was time to uh. give him his flowers because... Uh, we haven't done that enough on this podcast, but like just seeing what GM Harden has done to the Rockets organization in the last couple of years, you know, GM LeBron got some flack for a while for sort of dragging his friends along with him from Miami to Cleveland and gutting those teams of any young talent or future assets in order to go all in on winning now and kind of leaving those teams as burned out husks when he left. But he's done a pretty masterful job of constructing that Lakers roster and, and setting it up well for the next five years. Yeah, while, uh, you know, what, as you mentioned, GM Harden has failed to do that. GM Kawhi and Uncle Dennis have uh, left the Clippers in a 
perilous situation, depending on what happens this year. Um, you know, GM Giannis is non-existent because he doesn't want any input apparently, and and that's its own issue, it seems. But uh, yeah, shout out GM LeBron, and uh, and uh, a real fan shout out uh, for this episode is David Brook in Houston, who who reached out. Oh a man, I'm weeks sorry, ago. sorry, David. Yeah, well, I was gonna say when he reached out a couple of weeks ago, he did mention that, you know, he's a big fan of the pod, but uh, and he agrees with kind of where we think the Rockets are headed as an organization, but uh, that you know it pains him to admit that. So, uh, shout out David and Houston and all of our loyal listeners, and uh, as we always do, remind you that if whether you want a shout out or not, or you just kind of want to reach out, let us know. Uh, what you think of the show, good or bad, and also where you're listening from. And we will try to uh, get you a shout out at some point in the future. All right. Uh, with that, this mini pod is in the rear view mirror. For Joe Wolfon, I'm Joseph Cacharo. Pound the Rock. Pound the Rock.